Bibles to the book of Matthew and uh, Matthew's Gospel, the ver- uh, chapter 6. And we're starting a series today on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I asked the Lord about, you know, when can I teach on this? I had a lot of things that he wanted me to get into this year. And uh, he gave me permission to teach this at, uh, during our services in a series. And uh, so I'm grateful for that. But uh, this, uh, this account of the Lord's Prayer uh, is so powerful. And I think that when we dig into this, you're going to see just how powerful it really is. And uh, we're going to talk about today that first part where he says, Our Father. Um, because they had asked him, they said, like, teach us to pray like John has taught his disciples. And Jesus' response to them wasn't to teach them what John taught his disciples because John wasn't teaching his disciples to pray to the Father. Only Jesus taught that. In fact, if you read in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you only find God called Father 15 times out of a half a million uh, verses in the Old Testament. Only 15 times. In the, in, in the New Testament, through Christ, by the time you get to the end of Luke, 65 times already Jesus has referred to God as Father. And by the time you get to the end of John, it's 170 times that he has re- referenced God. Almost all of your New Testament is going to reference God as Father. And, there's, and it's really important to understand why that is, because this is what will revolutionize your prayer life, that the understanding of what Jesus came to convey to us, what he came to teach us about and was to show us that is that God is our Father. Not like they would look at him in the Old Testament, where Father would be more of a reference to the idea that you are the originator of all things, okay? So when they talk about God the Father, in the old, when they talk about God being a Father in the Old Testament, basically they're talking about you're the point of emanation of all things, you created all things. When Jesus comes and he begins to declare God the Father, he doesn't just talk about that he is Jesus' Father, he declares that he is our Father, that he is our God, our Father together. And what Christ is trying to do for you and I is is that he is making a declaration so that we understand that, look, it's not just an idea, it's an actual relationship that you are now in with heaven. You are now in a relationship with heaven where God is your father, not just your point of start, but you're in a relationship with him. And I want to show you a couple of verses to help you understand this. Um, I want you to, if you uh, have your Bible, just keep your finger there in um, Matthew 6 and go up to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. And uh, John 1, it says uh, in verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time in all his glory and all his fullness. Even Moses only saw the backside of God. So, I mean, I mean, it was a lot, but it wasn't the fullness of who God was. And so he said, no one has seen God at any time. But then he goes on to say, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, speaking of himself, he has declared him. Now, this is really important for us to, to understand because 
we need to recognize that up to this point, people really didn't understand what God the Father meant. They didn't, you know, they, the view of God um, in the Old Testament, when you read the, if you really want a good picture of this, read Job, because mankind's view of God was do good, you live, do bad, God kills you. Okay? So that was the view of it. So if you do good, you're going to have a great life. If you do bad, then God will kill you. If you don't do what God says to do, God will kill you. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple of ideas. I've got to go pretty quick, so um, you might want to listen to this in our podcast or um, watch it online again. In the Old Testament, the, there are different tenses that are used for Hebrew words. Like we know when we were in school, we learned about uh, past tense, right? means it happened before. We learned about present tense, right? And then we learn about future tense, and then there's a bunch of other little indications that go with that. So in the Greek or in the Hebrew language, they had a tense that we don't have in our language, all right? Remember, one of the dangers we deal with with Scripture is we take our American ideas and put it on what the Bible says instead of understanding why they wrote it the way they wrote it. So we interpret it through our lives instead of trying to understand what it was they were actually... We don't put it into the... Con, we're not good at putting things into the context of what it, was, what it was really all about, all right? Okay? So this one preacher, uh, it's, it's a true story, his wife's phone got stolen. And so he was... They were trying to figure out what they were going to do and they called the authorities, and they couldn't figure, you know, nobody could do anything. So they decided to call her number. So they call her number. Well, a woman answers the phone, and they said, um, this, we're calling because you have our phone, and we would like to buy it back from you, okay? And the woman on the other line, said, on the other end said, how much? They said, well, we'll give you a $100 bill for it. How would that be? She said, that'd be great. I'll do that. And they said, she said, are you going to turn me into the authorities? Is this a trap? They said, no, I'm a preacher. My wife, we're coming. We'll come where you are because we need the phone. It's got information in it that we need. We don't want to have everybody having it. So please, would you, would you, you know, we'll, we'll protect you. We're not going to call the authorities, okay? So she agrees, right? So then... She tells them where she is, and she's in a bar on the seedy side of town, all right? Now, you know what the seedy side is? We don't have seedy sides around here, but, but if you're in the city, you know there are some seedy sides where, like, you just ought to be careful. You're not going to leave your car keys in your car when you're there. You don't leave your door unlocked when you leave, okay? You just know that that's just not wisdom, all right? So... They tell her, they get in a cab. Now, he's all dressed up in a tuxedo because they're at this meeting, you know, this big meeting. And so they get in the cab and they tell the driver, this is where we need to go. And they say, it's a bar, it's called the, you know, I forget, you know, let's just say it's the Blue Pelican or something like that, all right? And it's, and, 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 uh, it, it's over on such and such a street. And the taxi driver even said, you don't want to go over there, right? 
They said, well, we've got a deal we've got to do. We've got to go over there. Now, watch this. So here he, he goes. The guy gets out of the taxi, goes to the door. The woman has told him what she's wearing, right? So he knows where to find, how to find her. He walks in to the bar. Now, remember, you're just a bystander watching all of this right now. He walks into the bar, pulls a $100 bill out, and hands it to another woman. What did you just see happen? See, if you don't know, watch, if you don't know the pretext, you can't know the context, and you will not understand the text of what's going on, right? And if we don't know the pretext, then what we do is we create our own context. That's why we study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I don't have time to get into all that. That's really awesome, too. Oh, I would love to teach you on that, but I don't have time. Now, in the Old Testament, when you read verses like, um, I think it's uh, Exodus 15, 26, and it says, if you do all these things, then I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have put upon the Egyptians, Right? So a Christian, we as believers, we could like look at that and go, oh my gosh, well, you know, he just said that he's the one that's giving the diseases. He's the one that's doing this. So we better do what he says to do or he'll put a disease on us, right? But here's, if you read it in the Hebrew language, which there are great scholars way beyond my education that have studied these things. A guy by the name of Robert Young that actually wrote, put together a whole concordance was considered in his day the, the best of Greek scholars. He says that the word put there is the word, it's a permissive tense. And it is not that God will put these diseases, but he will permit these diseases. Okay? Now look how that changes the text, right? So when I say God will put it on you, or God will permit it to be put upon you, it changes it all. Most of the verses that people get stuck on in the Old Testament are in the permissive tense. But because we don't have anything in our language that is a permissive tense, we don't have anything to bring it over into English. So they just put, they just use, when they, you know, when they do the verses, they just use the word, they just use the word put. Now, here's how, here's how this works. So can I use all you guys? Please, stand up a minute. Put your coffee down and your stuff. And, all right, I want you guys to come out here. All right? Can I use you guys too? Would that be okay? Awesome. What's your name? I'm Jordan. Jordan. And your name? Jasmine. Okay, Jasmine. All right, so what I want you guys to do is I want you to stand like this. Can everybody see these guys? All right. Stand like this, shoulder to shoulder, but we're going to do it in a way to make a circle. So, so we'll make a circle. So. <laughs> And you're facing out. Yeah, everybody's facing out. Okay, face out, face out, face out, face out. And we're going to make a complete circle, right? Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in. Jordan, right? Yep. Okay, Jordan, you're in the middle. All right. So here's God. We're, we're, we're God. We say that in here you are blessed. We say in here you experience all our fullness. In here is the Garden of Eden of your life, okay? So no sickness, no disease. But Jordan, he keeps thinking, well, it's really awesome in here, but maybe, you know, maybe there's something better outside, okay? And God says, look, don't 
Stay where you are. I'm going to bless you. I'm, going to, I'm giving you the best. I know what's best for you. Stay here. Jordan's thinking, eh, you know, I don't know. It seems to me like it's really cool in here and it's really awesome. But I just know there's a whole lot more out there to experience. So Jordan, he makes a decision that he's going to step outside the circle. All right. Now, God's saying, look, Jordan, if you step outside the circle, you have made a choice to experience what's ever out here. All right. It's not my choice. But here now watch this. But you have free choice. Because look, you're in bondage if God is putting you in there and making you stay there. You don't have no choice. If God's got you in the middle of the circle and he says, you have, you are, you're not getting out. I am not letting you out of here. Then what's going to happen? You're going to be, you're in there. You have no choice. You have to stay. But God, because of the beauty of who he is, he says, I don't want you to stay there because I want you to stay there. I want you to stay there because you want to stay there, right? Okay. So Jordan, he says, no, man, I'm going out. And he runs out here, gets hit by a car. Well, I just know that won't happen to you, but right. You know, we told Jordan, don't go out in the road. We're still all here talking to Jordan. We're saying, Jordan, don't go out in the road. Jordan's like, no, man, I, I want to get closer to see those things go flying by. Goes out in the road, gets hit by a car. And then here's what happens. Everybody that Jordan knows outside the circle goes, God did that. It was an act of God. The Lord took him. Baloney. God didn't take him. Jordan made a choice. Did God give him that choice? You better believe he did. You know, God will let you go to hell if you want to go to hell. He did, he, he, or he'll let you go to heaven. It's, but the choice is still your choice. Amen? Or we're just in bondage here on this earth. So when Jordan made that decision to step outside of where God had said his protection, his governance, his glory was, at that point, Jordan set himself up for failure. Okay, now when you read the book of Job, this is what you see in Job. Now, when you look at the story of Job, you like look at it and go, well, man, you know, it looks like the devil's doing all this stuff to Job and that God gave the devil permission. But if you read all of what Job said, that there's a point in Job's in the in the first three chapters where Job says. Uh, when his kid, everything falls apart, he declares where his heart has been, he says the thing that I have been so afraid of has happened to me. Fear does not keep you in here. Fear takes you out of the boundaries. And when you're outside those boundaries, then you become subject to what fear can bring. God did not kill Job's children. God didn't take everything from Job. Job made a choice. I'm not picking on Job, because it's a great lesson. In the end, he got twice as much back. So, I mean... He got back where he needed to be. When you and I, this is what Jesus was trying, thank you, you guys, give him a good hand. They did a great job. Awesome. Amen. Does everybody understand that idea? So would God give them permission? He, what's he going to do? If he gave you permission to make your own decisions, then the permission that he gives you can lead you into blessing or can lead you into tragedy. But the choice is yours, not God's choice. Because if you do anything different than that, then you're like, 
God is an unjust God because he's picking and choosing who he's knocking out and he's picking some people to bless him and it's not fair. It isn't a fair system that, that God is saying to, to only a few select people, you get the goods, the rest of you... I'm getting ready to push the smite button on you. See, and this really, can, this really upsets, it confuses people, but that... Here's why. Because we're not looking at how Jesus talked about the Father. He revealed, in fact, it says in the Amplified Version where it says he declared him, it means he brought him out in the open for everyone to see what God was really like. And so when he starts talking about prayer and he says, guys, here's how you start your prayer. Our Father. What does that mean for these guys? Well, they had never heard anything like that because you didn't talk to God like he was your father. And then he's talking to them about how that he has this relationship with the father and that they can have the same relationship with the father through his grace and through his work. If you uh, have your Bible there, turn to John 17 with me. John 17. Are you all getting anything out of this this morning? I... I know I'm talking fast. And Jesus, when he's praying this prayer, and he's following his own model of prayer, because he starts out talking to the Father. He, he, he isn't going through a whole... He begins talking about the relationship that he has. See, this is where why prayer struggles in our life, because we don't... Even though we say we understand it, we don't truly comprehend the idea that God is our, now our Father. That he, is, that he is our Father in the sense that we are in a divine relationship with Him. And that's what He talks about here in chapter 17 of John. If you look at this with me, it says that He begins His Jesus spoke these words in verse 1, lifted up His voice to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son that your son also may glorify you. And as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Watch verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. See, what is eternal? See, we talk about eternal life. Oh, you go to heaven. No, Jesus didn't teach that eternal life was going to heaven. He taught it is, that is part of it. But see, what ends up happening for God's people is we get this whole idea we got to go through hell till we get to heaven. And that isn't even close to what Jesus taught. He said we'd be persecuted. I mean, that's true. If you believe anything, you're going to be, you're going to be persecuted. I mean, if you don't want to be persecuted, don't believe in anything. But... If you believe in something, you're going to have pressure and persecution. The world system will try to press against you. It'll try to make you compromise. But Jesus is saying, look, this is what eternal life is. So we've heard all kinds of things. through. The, you know, eternal life is that your sins are forgiven. Yeah, that's part of it. Eternal life is that you go to heaven. Yes, that's part of it. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Yeah, that's part of it. But really, what, he was, what Jesus came to do was to give you a relationship with the Father. And he says it right here that you would know 
that they would know, all these that believe, that they would have eternal life and they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. So what he's really trying to accomplish is he's trying to get us into a place, and this is the whole key to prayer, is, is that he's trying to get us into a place to realize that it's not, we are not in a religion of things that we do that get God to do things that he does. We're in a relationship where we are in communion with God the Father. There is dialogue not going, there is dialogue going on here, excuse me, between us and God and God and us. That it's more than just that, you know, that I'm in this thing that if I do all these things right. You know, I grew up in church and we used to do the Lord's Prayer every week. I mean, every single week we do the Apostles' Creed, Lord's Prayer. And I have no issue with that whatsoever. I think it's awesome. Except when it turns into remote control. When we stand up in church and we go through the Our Father, and then we go through the whole idea of the Apostles' Creed. And look, for most of you here, I could start the Apostles' Creed. You had it pounded into your head as a kid. You went through catechism, like I went through catechism. You know all these things. So, and you said them over and over every week. But if you didn't think about what you were saying, if you weren't connected to what you were saying, then it's just words. You say, well, I was saying them to God. Doesn't that count? Well, you get an A for effort, okay? That's great. But faith is how, God is a faith God. Remote control is not faith. Faith is that I believe, I receive, and I act accordingly. So when I say, all right, like if I stand up and I say, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. Um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Right? So I say, I say the prayer, and if I go out that day, and I'm worrying about where I'm getting my bread from, then I didn't believe what I just said. If I'm worried, I won't have enough. If I make statements about, man, the devil has really been after me this week. Oh, I thought you just prayed, deliver us from temptation, right? Now you're telling everybody that the devil's, why don't you believe, did you not pray that? Because if you pray it, you believe it, you say it, and then you act accordingly. The best thing you can do, and I'm not trying to be mean here, okay? The best thing you can do is say, well, I've been saying a lot of stuff. I, I, apparently, I just don't believe that right now. But that's great because, see, you can't ever get anywhere until you know where you're at. And then once you know where you're at, where you are, then you can start building your faith to get into a place where you actually believe it. Other words, we're just living in denial. We're in a spiritual denial. Well, pastor, that's, I don't know. That, I'll have to think about that. Well, think, I hope you do. I hope you do. Because just saying things doesn't make it okay. We do not have to. Look, God loves us whether we pray to him or not. That doesn't change a thing. Guess what? He's your father whether you pray to him or not. He isn't like, oh man, I'm so happy today because I'm really your father today because you talk to me. No, he... You know, he's not like your parents were that said you never call anymore, you know, stuff like that, right? 
Or maybe some of you are telling your kids that. You know, you, just, you, you used to call all the time and stop by. Now you don't call and stop by. Well, look, God doesn't do that because what God what the, God's attitude is, is is that he's in a relationship whether you're talking to him or not. You're in his family. You're his child. And I know, you know, like in earth, on earth, sometimes like the way our kids act, we don't like want to say, that's my kid. But, you know, God's not in heaven going, uh, yeah, I don't know who those guys are. I, they're, they're somebody else's kids. They're not mine. No, but see, that, but see he, he, because of his love for us. Now, I'll just wrap up this morning because we got to pray at the altar here today. Think of how your prayer life changes when you realize the relationship. See, a lot of people go to prayer and they spend the first part of prayer trying to convince God to listen to them. Oh, God, I know I'm not worthy. I know, Lord God, I've been bad. I lied this last week. I haven't been nice to this person. I didn't do this, Lord. I know I haven't been obedient. Oh, God, I'm a worm. I'm no good. I'm worthless. There's none righteous, no, not one. I'm one of the none righteous, obviously. But God, if any way, somehow, somehow that you could listen. Oh God, I plead with you today to listen to me. If you would just listen to what I'm asking you, Lord. I know I'm not worthy, but now look, all you have done, you have wasted your time because that isn't how God looks at you. He's not adding a single amen to one thing you just said. He's not going, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, well, I've been waiting. It's about time. It's about time, right? It's about, about time you apologize for being the jerk that you are. I've been waiting for that. The great image that he shows us of this is when, he talks, when Jesus tells us about the prodigal son. Now, I don't have time to look at it this morning, but... When you look at this account of the prodigal son, it's really powerful because, you know, there's two sons. You know, one says, give me what's mine, takes his stuff, goes out, lives a horrible life. Famine hits the land. He wasn't counting on that. And he loses everything. He's feeding pigs, smelly, dirty, living a terrible life. And then something happens. It says he came to himself. And here's, here's how he came to himself. And if you read it in the, I encourage you, it's in Luke 15. If you read it, underline every time that he says, my father, in the passage. Because he says it over and over and over again. He said, when he came to himself, he said, in my father's house, there are many servants that are there who live a way better life than I am. What I will do is I will return to, here he says it again, my father. So even though he knew he had blown it, he still recognized this man as his father, right? That he was, because why? Because he's in a relationship with him. He blew it big time. I mean, really, really bad. But he still recognizes the relationship. And he says, I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against you. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. And watch this now. So he comes in. He starts down the road to go to his dad to back home. And his dad is watching for him, according to the story. And his dad sees him, and when he sees him, he hits the road and runs down the road to where his son is. And the son starts in the whole spiel. Now, I want you just to grab this, because this will help you so much in your prayer life. His son starts on his spiel. 
I'm not worthy to be called your son, but I can be like one of your hired servants. And if you read the text, the father doesn't even answer him. He doesn't even say anything. He doesn't go, well, I'm glad you came to your senses. Well, you made your bed, son. You're just going to have to sleep in it. No, you know what he did? The Bible says that when he saw his son coming down the road, he had compassion on him. He had, he had pity for him. He, he felt bad because that's his son. And it wasn't about what his son had done. It's about what state his, the, the state that the son was in at that moment. It wasn't about that he blew his inheritance and he wasn't worthy. It was about that's my son. So what does he do? He yells, kill the fatted calf. That's reserved for big deals, not for duds. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. And he says, look, bring out a robe. Bring out a ring. Bring out a Bring out sandals for my boy. All this comes out to this. Look, I work with pigs because I have pigs. Pigs are dirty. And even when you leave the pig pen and you take a, the pigs go with you. They, that smell gets in your hair. It gets, it gets the, it, it like, and it's a smell like no other manure there is, pig's manure. There's, there's nothing as sour as it. I mean, it's just. But bacon tastes good. So, <laughs> right? It's all worth it for some bacon. But what's his son smell like? What's he look like? He's dirty. He's been, he didn't, they didn't say he took a bath and came home and said, well, I'll clean up and go to my father. He just said, I'm going to my father. So he shows up on the road, and his dad runs out, and he says, put a new robe. Why did he put a new robe on him? To cover the shame of the sin of this young man's life, of the destruction and the devastation that he had created on his own life. What did he do? He put a ring on his hand, which would have been the family ring, which would have been a symbol of authority that he could use any place he went that said that he belongs in this family, that he's part of this family. He probably had one when he left, but he probably had to hock it to stay alive. Put sandals on his feet. And this is something, you know, putting in context that we don't know in our society, but in that society, slaves were the only ones that didn't have sandals. So when he said, you put shoes on my boy's feet, he was saying, that is not a slave, and he will not be a slave in my house. That is my son, and he will live as my heir. Put all that into context now. Our father. Our father. See, really, the rest of it doesn't work. You know, if he'd, have, if he'd have started out like this, he said, so when you pray, pray like this, Almighty God. Nothing wrong with that. Just pray, Almighty God. That wouldn't have, that wouldn't have created what needs to happen in prayer. That's great that we would recognize God as Almighty, and I, I pray that way sometimes. But what he said is, no, you come and you say, Father, Abba, that's what the Jews would have called. You know, the, the Jews, um, the word Abba, when the kid was, the kids would learn it when they're little, they would say Abba. It's like, you know, we say Dad, Dad, right? But the thing is, is that they didn't have another word for Father. So 
It was Abba when they're little that they learn. When they're toddlers, they use it. When they're teenagers, they use it. When they're adults and married, they use it. And when they're older, they still call their dad Abba. And it carries with it daddy and pap, pop and Paul and all those things are all in that to them because he has been my father from the beginning to the end. And see, the idea in that, in that word when he says, this is how I want you to pray, what he's trying to convey is, look, you're in a relationship. The guy that you're going to in prayer is on your side. He's not against you. And when you come to him, you don't have to convince him to listen to you. We had a lady in our church, Sharon, remember, her name was Lida. She's in heaven now, so she knows how wrong she was. But uh, she would say stuff like, I'm a worm. And we said to her, you know, Lida, you don't believe that. She says, well, I do, because I'm, I'm just so worthless and such a worm. And I says, okay, so let me call you a worm and let me see how you react. She said, no, don't do that. I said, so you don't believe it. You just think that gets you in with God. That's a lie. You are not a worm. Don't call what God gave his whole life for in all of heaven, bankrupted heaven, so that you could be a part of his family. Don't call what God has done something worthless that it's not. Because what God did was made you an heir and a joint heir with Christ. What God did was made you his sons and his daughters. What God did was he sent the spirit, according to Galatians, the spirit of Christ into you that's crying out, Abba, Father. You are my father. How's that change your prayer life? Oh my goodness, it changes it drastically. You don't have to spend the first 10 minutes of your prayer convincing God he needs to listen to you. And 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we know that we have the petition that we have desired of him. God's on your side. God's on your side, look, even if you get outside the circle. He'll do what he can out here outside the circle to help you. But if you really want to experience the benefits and the blessings, you've got to get back in the circle. And that's your choice. Let's stand. I'm going to ask our prayer team if they'd come right now. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know about you, but I preach myself happy. <laughs> Amen. So that's just the first part. Next week we'll talk about who, are, who art in heaven. Hallelujah. You know, when we do these things at the altar with praying with folks, go ahead and come up, guys, if you want to come up, if you would. When we pray for folks at the altar... You know, we don't have anything we can give you, but we can come into agreement with you for what you need. And, you know, I, I follow the principle from Scripture that says one can put 1,000 to flight. This is in Deuteronomy. But two can put 10,000 to flight. So when I get, when I'm, when I'm in a tough spot, I want to get somebody in agreement with me. If I need healing, I want to get somebody in agreement Jesus, in fact, in the book of James said, you have not because you ask not. So, I mean, it's just that simple. We have people that will pray with you today. And if you're battling depression or if you're battling in your life, 
any kind of uh, discouragement, if you're battling in your life physically, look, these guys know what it's like in the circle. We'll get you, we'll pray with you. There's no rebuke coming up here today. There's only prayer for helping you get where you need to be in your life. Are you listening to me? We want to help you. We want to help you get where you need to be. We want to go to our Father together. So I'm going to bow my head and pray, and then I'm just going to ask, if you'd like prayer this morning, if you'd just go ahead and you'd come right now. Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I know that there are specific things that are going on in folks' life right now. Um, Lord, I know there's somebody here that's really, uh, by the Spirit, somebody really battling over their, uh, their son right now. Just it's really heavy on their heart, Lord God. And they're, they're, they're struggling with it, Lord. They're, they believe you. They believe what your word says. But, Lord, they just, uh, Lord, it's just been a tough, it's been a long, tough battle. Now, if that's you that's dealing with that, I want you to come and let us pray with you this morning in, in a moment here. Lord, I know that there are folks here that are, that are they're struggling physically, Lord. There are things that, that just aren't working the way they're supposed to. And Father God, we thank you that your word is so clear that we can say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, who forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. And so, Lord God, we come into agreement right now. And Lord, as they come to pray this morning, Lord God, that there would be uh, that healings, Lord God, would come into their lives, Father God, that supernatural releases of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of healings talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, Lord, the gifts of miracles, Lord God, the gift of faith, Father God, would be released in this place today in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We recognize in and of ourselves, Lord God, that we have that, that it is all you, and that's where we give the glory and the honor. It's to you, Lord God, as the healer, deliverer, and savior. I'm going to ask, too, while heads are bowed, look, if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I just heard the Holy Spirit say, but they have, but they have never told anybody about it. They've never, besides those closer to them, they need to make a declaration. I'm going to ask you today, if you would, uh, to just to, when we have that time to come to the altar and talk with one of these prayer team and just tell them I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter if it was today, um, or I would like to know more about accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior. But you need to make a public testimony to someone um, that's not just close to you about that you've accepted Christ. You need to hear yourself say it. And I thank you for that, Father God. I thank you that you are working. You are our champion. And we respect that, and we honor it as our Father.